Chicago'sMorningAnswer.com. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I repeat my question from earlier in the show. Can someone please assist me? I need help. I need to understand exactly what the difference is between Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a Heaven's Gate cult leader, and the guy outside your subway wearing sandwich boards predicting end times. This is Ocasio-Cortez in all of her glory at a Martin Luther King Day forum talking about end times. The world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. And your biggest issue is... Your your biggest issue is how are we going to pay for it? Mm-hmm. And, like, this is the war. This is our World War II. Mm-hmm. This is like our World War II. The world's going to end, folks, in 12 years if we don't do something about it. Maybe we need a little bit of an outside perspective on this. Uh, this is a, Our next guest is a gentleman I've been following since uh, 2009, I think it was, about a decade, when he dressed down then British PM Gordon Brown at the European Parliament, calling him the devalued prime minister of a devalued nation. Well, Ten years later, I don't know if Britain is doing better or worse. It's difficult to discern. Daniel Hannon, MEP from Runnymede, the uh, site of the signing of the Magna Carta, since we're on the topic of Western civilization, uh, he has written a number of books, all of which you should read. My personal favorite is Inventing Freedom, Uh, The New Road to Serfdom, How We Invented Freedom and Why It Matters, Why America Must Not Follow Europe. He wrote that like almost a decade ago. You know, somebody's trying to wave his hands and say the bridge is out. Uh, Now let's get his perspective on Brexit and what's going to happen. Yesterday, markets roiled by uncertainty about uh, global growth, and that certainly includes the Eurozone and the U.K. Dan Hannon joins us now. Dan, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Good morning, Dan. Nice to be back. Uh, So uh, on the matter of Brexit, we've talked to a couple of other uh, folks on this matter. Stephen Booth the other day from Open Europe and and others and, you know, kind of laying out what options are before the May government. But what's your perspective as a conservative party member where this goes? What can get done uh, in terms of Mm -hmm. uh, uh, restoring British sovereignty as uh, people voted to do back in the summer of 2016? Well, as you say, people voted to do it. People voted by a bigger margin than British people have ever voted for anything to leave the European Union. The trouble is that their parliamentarians have no intention of honoring the instruction that they were given in that referendum. When MPs voted to hold a referendum, it never really occurred to them that the electorate might ignore their advice and vote to leave. And so what we have is a a, a political crisis. It's not a wider societal crisis. You know, Britain is booming. Our economy is growing. It's it's growing much faster than the Eurozone. It's not a a constitutional crisis. It is a straightforwardly political crisis, which takes the form of members of parliament and members of the House of Lords trying to find a way to frustrate the decision made in, in the summer of 2016, either overtly by just taking back the notice to quit and and trying to say in the EU, uh, possibly by means of a a second rigged referendum, or 
uh, more subtly than that by basically uh, finding a, a system where we could keep all of the obligations and costs of EU membership, where we'd still basically be under Brussels jurisdiction, but where it could be technically called Brexit. Uh, almost no one is interested in actually just trying to leave and make a success of it in Parliament, and that's the basic problem we have. And with respect to um, how we got to this point, what are the lessons to be learned in terms of uh, arguable missteps that Theresa May and her government made uh, that have brought Britain to this point? Well, she's made a series of missteps, uh, accepting this bizarre sequencing where we had to sort of hand over all of the goodies before we even started talking about trade, uh, accepting uh, this extraordinary uh, thing called the Irish backstop, where Britain is effectively now responsible for what happens on the other side of a border, which is an impossible position to be in. Uh, at almost every stage, we've made the mistake of conceding to Brussels in the hope that it will kind of make them nicer. And yet they've pocketed every concession because ultimately the European Commission, I don't think this is true of most of the, the national governments on the continent, but the European Commission, which is in the driving seat here, is so wedded to the European dream that they are, they, they're not really thinking in terms of maximizing the benefits to the EU27. They, they don't really want a cordial deal. So then European integration is an almost religious uh, goal, and Britain needs to be excommunicated for, for the blasphemy of having voted leave. And I, I don't think it's going too far to say, uh, in fact, they, they've, they've said it themselves, although uh, in private, that the European Commission negotiators would rather see all sides suffer, would rather see all countries less well off than watch a post-EU Britain succeed. Wow. So what's next? Well, as far as I can see, there are, there are three possible outcomes. One is that Parliament gets its way and actually overturns the verdict of the referendum. That, of course, is what Brussels is hoping for, which is why they're being obstreperous, because they, they still think there's a chance that uh, British MPs might frustrate a referendum, as, as after all, is, is usually what happens when, when people vote no to the EU. It's what happened in Ireland twice. It's what happened in Denmark and France and Netherlands and so on. They're, they're quite used to swatting aside referendums. So that's one possibility. We, we repeal. A second possibility is that Parliament doesn't manage to get its act together and we leave on schedule on the 29th of March. That would now only happen by accident. But as a good free marketeer, I'm quite in favor of things happening by accident. They usually work out better than things that have happened by design. The third possibility is that we somehow manage to take the Irish backstop out of the deal and we agree the rest of it, which would be a compromise, but I think it would be a compromise that both sides could at least live with. So those are, those are the three options. If, if you twist my arm, I think the third is probably at the moment marginally likelier than the other two. I think that... Um, if there is any movement, because the, the, the trouble with the Irish backstop is it would basically leave the EU continuing to control all of our trade policy after we'd left. Right? It would make it impossible, even after we'd left, for us to sign a trade deal with the US, for example. And that, I think, is, is intolerable to, to, to Parliament. So if, if you could just take that bit out of it, I think people would sign up for the rest. Well, what's the incentive for Jeremy Corbyn and Labour to... Uh to make that compromise deal. I mean, it seems like it, it mirrors what we have that the partial shutdown in, in America over border security funding. Uh, the president uh, produces a compromise, gives uh, the Democrats here what they had previously supported and said was their priority, but they're not interested because they're mostly interested in 
scoring political points against the president as opposed to advancing any particular policy agenda. Isn't that sort of a similar dynamic in, in your situation? Yeah, I, I mean, to be fair, I think to some extent that is intrinsic in being the opposition party. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we can all think of examples where, where the Republicans behaved similarly the other way around. It, 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 but what's different now, I think, in your country and in mine, is the, 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 the tribalism, the belief that if the other side is happy, that somehow must be a defeat for you. And, and of course, that's a very primitive way of looking at politics. I mean, it, it, it ought to be possible, it certainly ought to be possible on the shutdown, to find a way through that satisfies you know, enough of the objectives of both sides that everyone could live with it. But sadly, I don't think there's, there's much interest in even looking for that. And what is the future of the European Parliament uh, uh, with, let's, let's just play out the hypothetical, that uh, there is this uh, compromise exit of the UK. What's the future of, of the European Parliament and the Eurozone in a post-Merkel era? Mm, I mean, I think the, the long-term... Uh, trends are still bad for the European Union. The, the real reasons why Britain voted leave were n not to do with you know, border control or with sort of just anger at, at the government or whatever. It, 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 fundamentally, what changed is when we voted, we voted to stay in by two to one in 1975. In those days, Europe looked like the future. It was growing, it was prosperous, and Britain was not in a good way. Uh, since then, the EU's share of the world economy has shrunk from 36% to 15%. And that fundamentally is why Britain left. Now, it, it, was, it was possible that the EU leaders could have responded positively to Brexit. They could have said, oh, maybe this is a wake-up call. Maybe there are reforms that we should be making. Maybe we've drifted too far from the people. Maybe we should be looking to repatriate power to a national level. But they haven't. They've gone completely in the opposite direction. They've said, oh, great, without the Brits, we can go ahead and build our own army and our own tax system and all the rest of it. In other words, they've doubled down on the things that Britain voted against. And that makes me think that Britain won't be the last country to vote to leave. He is Daniel Hannan, MEP representing Southeast England for the Conservative Party. Also a columnist over here for the Washington Examiner, WashingtonExaminer.com. Daniel Hannan, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate your insights. Thank and, you uh, very much. Brexit tutorial. Take care. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM 560.